Welcome back to the Hemingway List, Book 4, Chapter 14. What are your thoughts on Dolokhov's character now? Can you reconcile the devoted son and brother with the man who just bought about the ruination of his friend? And then there's Nikolai, compare his thoughts while losing the money to his thoughts after being shot on the battlefield. How are they similar? Has he grown at all in the time between? For lack of a better way of putting it, what is his problem? Why is he so often frustrated instead of content? Do you think Nikolai will produce the money? Do you think Dolokhov expects him to? The Qureshi says, What a week it's been. In the last seven chapters we've had the return of missing Prince Andre, a birth, a death, a funeral, a christening, talk of a new war, a rejected proposal, a profession of love, a dance recital, financial ruin and blackmail. Wow, when you put it like that, Qureshi, it's been an action-packed week. Um, yeah, uh, what was the questionnaire that was uh, in that, that 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 I wanted to comment on? Oh, yeah, has has uh, Nikolai changed since the war? There was a lot of similarities, really, wasn't there, with the um, facing down like defeat or ruin in some way, either by dying on the battlefield or, you know losing way more money than you can afford to. And in both cases, he kind of reminisces about just being home, being with his family, and what a pleasant and loving environment that is. And um, it's like he can only appreciate that at times when he's taken away from it and put into a horrible ordeal. Warren Kavafi says, What an utter disaster for Rostov. I thought he'd suffered a bad loss from the last chapter, but 43,000 rubles... Dolokhov continues to show what a spiteful scumbag he is. This is how he treats his friends. Based on what we've seen of him, I think Dolokhov is only friends with other people if they are of use to him. With Sonya's rejection, Rostov is no longer as useful as Dolokhov. So, rather than benefit as a friend, Nikolai now feels the effects of being Dolokhov's enemy. I will give Dolokhov credit for shaping up to be a likely memorable villain. Um, to answer the question, I think Rostov's problem is that he's still a boy mostly masquerading as an adult and still has a lot of growing up to do. He's out of his element at this point in the novel. I think you're probably right there. Amy Lays says, It's hard for me to feel for Rostov. Dolokhov is a bastard and a cheat, but Rostov could have avoided this situation very easily. He knew Rostov, so he knew Dolokhov would cheat. He still played cards with him. Pythagorean Bean says, Google search yields this Reddit thread that shows 43,000 rubles um, in 1806 is the equivalent of 321,000 US dollars in 2014. Whoa, he just lost $321,000 at cards. Whoa, golly. Twisted everywhere, he says, Oh my, way to go, Nikolai. I don't see any way he'll be able to pay Dolokhov. Dolokhov is going to have great fun with him if Nikolai is in debt to him. Uh, mm. Order from Chaos says, It's so frustrating watching Nikolai stupidly throwing good money after bad. I don't like gambling at the best of times. This just felt like him putting himself in a difficult situation for no reason at all. It was very frustrating to witness that just throwing money away, trying to win it back, but you just know he's not going to. 
doesn't know how to quit while he's uh well not quit while he's ahead but what's the term um doesn't know how to when to call it quits when to cut your losses is the words i'm looking for all right what are we up to guys what are we up to um Oh, okay, here we go. Chapter 14. Nope, that's not right. We're up to chapter 15. Okay, here we go. Chapter 15 goes like this. To say tomorrow and keep up a dignified tone was not difficult, but to go home alone, see his sisters, brother, mother and father confess and ask for money he had no right to after giving his word of honour was terrible. At home, they had not yet gone to bed. The young people, after returning from the theatre, had had supper and were grouped round the clavichord. As soon as Nicholas entered, he was engulfed—sorry, enfolded—in that poetic atmosphere of love, which pervaded the Rostov household that winter. And now, after Dolokhov's proposal and Diego's ball, seemed to have grown thicker round Sonya and Natasha as the air does before a thunderstorm. Sonya and Natasha in the light blue. Dresses they had worn at the theatre, looking pretty and conscious of it, were standing by the clavichord, happy and smiling. Vera was playing chess with Shinchin in the drawing room. The old countess, waiting for the return of her husband and son, sat playing patience with the old gentlewoman who lived in their house. Denisov, with sparkling eyes and ruffled hair, sat at the clavichord, striking chords with his short fingers, his legs thrown back and his eyes rolling as he sang with his small, husky, but true voice. Some verses called Enchantress, which he had composed, and to which he was trying to fit music. Enchantress, say to my forsaken Leah, what magic power is this recalls me still? Oh, liar. That's f Enchantress, say to my forsaken liar, what f magic power is this recalls me still? What spark has set my innermost soul on fire? What is this bliss that makes my fingers thrill? He was singing in passionate tones, tones, gazing with his sparkling black agate eyes at the frightened and happy Natasha. Splendid, excellent, exclaimed Natasha. Another verse, she said, without noticing Nicholas. Everything's still the same with them, thought Nicholas, glancing into the drawing room where he saw Vera and his mother with the old lady. Ah, and here's Nicholas, cried Natasha, running up to him. Is Papa at home? he asked. I'm so glad you've come, said Natasha, without answering. We are enjoying ourselves. Vasily Dmitrich is staying a day longer, for my sake, did you know? No, Papa is not back yet, said Sonia. Nicholas, have you come? Come here, dear, called the old countess from the drawing room. Nicholas went to her, kissed her hand, and sitting down silently at her table began to watch her hands arranging the cards from the dancing room. They still heard the laughter and merry voices trying to persuade Natasha to sing. All white, all white, said Denisov. It's not... It's no good making excuses now. It's your turn to sing the Balkowola, I entreat you. The countess glanced at her silent son. What's the matter? she asked. Oh, nothing, said he, as if weary of being continually asked the same question. Will Papa be back soon? I expect so. Everything's the same with them. They know nothing about it. Where am I to go? thought Nicholas, and went again into the dancing room where the clavichord stood. Sonia was sitting at the clavichord playing the prelude to Denisov's favourite Barcoli. Natasha was preparing to sing. Denisov was looking at her with enraptured eyes. Nicholas began pacing up and down the room. Why do they want to make her sing? How can she sing? There's nothing to be happy about, thought he. Sonia struck the first chord on the prelude. 
Oh my god, I'm a ruined and dishonored man. A bullet through my brain is the only thing left for me. Not singing. His thoughts ran on. Go away, but where to? It's one. Let them sing. He continued to pace the room, looking gloomily at Denisov and the girls and avoiding their eyes. Nikolenka, what is the matter? Sonya's eyes, fixed on him, seemed to say. She noticed at once that something had happened to him. Nicholas turned away from her. Natasha, too, with her quick instinct, had instantly noticed her brother's condition. But though she noticed it, she was herself in such high spirits that at that moment, so far from sorrow, sadness or self-reproach, that she purposefully deceived herself, as young people often do. No, I am not. Sorry, no, I am too happy now to spoil my enjoyment by sympathy with anyone's sorrow, she felt. And she said to herself, No, I must be mistaken. He must be feeling happy just as I am. Now, Sonia, she said, going to the very middle of the room, where she considered the resonance that was best. Having lifted her head and let her arms droop lifelessly, as ballet dancers do, Natasha, rising energetically from her heels to her toes, stepped to the middle of the room and stood still. Yes, that's me, she seemed to say, answering the rapt gaze with which Denisov followed her. And what is she so pleased about, thought Nicholas, looking at his sister. Why isn't she dull and ashamed? Natasha took the first note, her throat swelled, her chest rose, her eyes became serious. At that moment she was oblivious of her surroundings, and from her smiling lips flowed sounds which anyone may produce at the same intervals and hold for the same time, but which leave you cold a thousand times and a thousand, and first time thrill you and make you weep. Natasha, that winter, had for the first time begun to sing seriously, Ah, Natasha, that winter, had for the first time begun to sing seriously, mainly because Denisov was so delighted in her singing. She no longer sang as a child. There was no longer in her singing that comical, childish, painstaking effort that had been in that before. But she did not yet sing well. As all the connoisseurs who heard her said, it is not, a, not trained, but it is a beautiful voice that must be trained. Only they generally said this after, sometime after she had finished singing while that untrained voice, with its incorrect breathing and laboured transitions, was sounding, even the connoisseurs said nothing, but only delighted in it and wished to hear it again. In her voice there was a virginal freshness, an unconsciousness of her own powers, and as an as yet untrained velvety softness, which so mingled with her lack of art in singing that it seemed as if nothing in that voice could be altered without spoiling it. What is this? thought Nicholas, listening to her with widely opened eyes. What has happened to her? How is she singing today? And suddenly the whole world centred for him on anticipation of the next note, the next phrase, and everything in the world was divided into three beats. O mio crudel ofetto. One, two, three. One, two, three. One. O mio crudel ofetto. One, two, three. One. Oh, this senseless life of ours, thought Nicholas. All this misery and money and Dolokhov and anger and honour, oh, it's all nonsense. But this is real. Now then, Natasha, now then, dearest, now then, darling, how will she take it? See, she's taken it. Thank God. And without noticing that he was singing, to strengthen the C, he sung a second, a third, below the high note. Ah, oh God, how fine. Did I really take it? How fortunate, he thought. Oh, how that chord vibrated and how moved was something that was finest in Rostov's soul. And this something was apart from everything else in the world, and above everything in the world. What were losses? And Dolokhov? And words of honour? All nonsense. One might kill and rob and yet be happy. All right, there we go. There's that chapter. Oh, Rostov. Poor kid.
he's um the, the happiness of his household is just making him dread more and more this awful thing he's got to do in confessing how much money he's just lost oh dear that's painful have your say about this one on the subreddit thanks very much for hanging out and i'll see you tomorrow